Well, last week, uh, in my absence, we started a series on 1 John. And I do want to say thank you to everyone who served last week. Uh, it was, it's so cool just seeing people jump up and serve and lead and minister. And many, many of you made that happen last week. And I believe that Jesus was worshipped based on what I heard from multiple people. And I just, that makes me, that gets me excited. <laughs> so I was just so excited to get back into town early in the week or late Sunday night and to, to hear what God had done last week at our gathering. Uh, but we started a series in First John, and Brother Joe preached uh, through the first chapter today. We are going to continue verse by verse in chapter 2. Um, we will be going over verses 1 through 11 today. Next week, we will be going over verses 12 through 17. So please uh, read over those verses in preparation uh, for our time together next week so you come with some basic knowledge of what's already been written there. So what I'd like to do is uh, read the Bible, read these 11 verses. If you're using a blue Bible, if you need a Bible, grab a blue Bible in the center of the table. And the passage we're on today is uh, on page 1,123. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Follow along with me if you would. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray in a moment, and after we pray, we're going to start our um, uh, individual reading time, and then our discussion. Uh, we would like you to read through the passage once, twice, three times, whatever you might have time to do. If you get stuck on something and you want to read the same verse ten times because it interests you, then do that. But we want you, each of us as individuals, to get familiar with what's written. And then when the time is right, the table leader will begin your discussion. Then after 15 to 20 minutes, we'll finish up the discussion and I'll come and uh, uh, take us through this and share with y'all some of what God has showed me uh, over the last few weeks. So uh, our discussions will be based on four questions. What does the passage say? What does the passage mean? Uh, how, um, 
how should I respond to the passage? And also, uh, is there anyone that I need to share this with? And so from there, we can go in a number of different directions, but that is a loose structure for our discussions. So let's pray, and then we'll have you read. Father, thank you for your word. Would you speak to each of us as we read? And would you give many of us something to give the others at our table? And may we all grow and be more like you. Amen. Amen. All right, read the passage to yourself a few times. All right, everybody. We've had some decent discussions, some good questions, some great observations that were shared. So I want to tell you about a season of my life, and maybe you've had a season similar to this, maybe not, not everyone does, or maybe you're in one of these seasons right now. When I was a teenager, I became a Christian, I was about 13, and was active in my church, and was very aware of like how God wanted me to live. Like I just knew there were certain things that if I'm a Christian, I just can't do. And I would fight against those things. I would try not to do the things that I know I shouldn't do. But sometimes I lost the battle. And I would go through these seasons of despair and hopelessness. And I would realize what I'd done and the guilt and the shame would just get stacked on. And then I started thinking, you know what, if I do that and Jesus comes back, he's probably not going to take me with him and I'm probably going to go to hell forever. And then, like, so, so just one little thing would come in and I'd fight it and I'd give in and for days, I was scared, scared, scared. I didn't want to go to church. I read my Bible because I felt like I kind of had to and was supposed to, and, and I got a little bit of hope from that. But I had these cycles, and it lasted from the time I was 13 until I was roughly 17 or 18, where I was so worried about my sin, and my eyes were so fixed on the thing that I'm being tempted to do, that I was just walking in constant dread of not being perfect. What do I do when I mess up? How do I, I keep on when I know that I have disobeyed God, when I know that I, I, I went somewhere I shouldn't have gone, or I said something I shouldn't have said, or I looked at something I shouldn't have looked at, whatever it might be. How do I go to God? And, and that, 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 that was a question that was at the forefront of my thoughts for so much of my early life as a Christian. When I talk to people today, we wonder, how, how can we know for sure that we're going to heaven? How, how good do I have to be to get to God? You know, the, the guy on TV said one thing. And my friend a long time ago said something else about God. But then I visited this church last week and they said something different. So which one's right? How do I navigate the different messages about God? How do I kind of walk through the different 
ways that are out there that people say you can think about God. How do I know what to do with my sin? Do I just act like it never ever happened? Or do I, do I just get really angry at myself and try to hide in a box for a few days and not let anyone see how bad I've been? Or do I, I just run right into it because I know I'll never stop sinning. I know I'll never be perfect. So I might as well just give up and just woo-hoo, go out and do whatever I want to do and make myself feel great. What do we do with our sin? What does God do with our sin? John is writing. He, John, this is the Apostle John. This is not John the Baptist. But John was one of the twelve disciples. And at this point in life when he's writing this, he, he's, he's old. He's at least probably between 80 and 95. And he's been in Christian ministry for, for any, I would guess... 45 to 60 years, maybe even 65 or 70 years by this time. He's been following Jesus this whole time. He's been teaching other people about Him. He, he's been just walking with God, not in perfection, but he's been walking with God, trying to do whatever it is that God wants him to do. And he's, had, he's been a leader. And he's got a lot of people around him. And he's writing this letter to, to a general and large audience. But, but he also has specific people in mind and he has great affection and love for the people he's writing to. And the people he's writing to have had some false teachers that have come in. We're going to see this more in weeks to come. And they've come in and they're causing all kinds of division. They're causing all kinds of confusion. The people have believed in Jesus. They've started following him. Then all these leaders came in. And they're like, wait, no, you're doing it all wrong. You've got to do it this way. We've got secret stuff for you. Come in and join our secret little stuff. And don't worry about what you've been taught about Jesus. We know the way and everything else is wrong. We're going to flesh those ideas out some in the next few weeks. But there's confusion back then. Confusion is not a new thing. Different messages about God and truth existed in that day as they do right now. And John is writing to a group of people that's very diverse in nature, kind of like what we have in this room today. Some uh, and, and he's right, and they're they're Christians, and that that's very clear from from. I mean, a non Christian can read it, but his his intended audience are people who believed in Christ and are following him and are saved. But we get to chapter two, verse one, and we see his affection for the people. He says, "My little children." He's saying that to people who are younger than him in the Lord. He's not talking to six-year-olds primarily, but he's talking to me and he's talking to you, regardless of what your age is. Look down in verse 7 and he says, Beloved. And we're going to see these words over and over again throughout these remaining four chapters of John's epistle. And the epistle is a Bible word for letter. This is a letter. So we're going to see these words over and over and over again. So he's writing with great affection. And he says, my little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. He states very clearly his reason for writing. He's writing this to them so that they don't sin. What is sin? We could spend all day on that. The Bible says a lot about it. And there's many different ways that you could define sin and still be accurate. Have you ever decided to do what you wanted to do instead of what God wanted you to do? Yes, you have. Have you lied? Have you stolen anything? Have you wanted something 
more than you wanted God. Well, all of those are, are, are you just broke three of the Ten Commandments. Well, what we're going to see is throughout First John is we're going to see John define sin for us in quite a few different ways. But that, that sin is, is whenever we live as if we're the king instead of living in God's kingdom as if he is the true king. And he's writing so that we may not sin. But if anyone does sin, if you sin, if you know Jesus and you sin, then we as Christians, if you're not a Christian, this is not true for you, we as Christians have an advocate with the Father, and that is Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. The Righteous One. And that that idea of the Righteous One is important. He always does the right thing. He's a God of perfect justice. And I love that. Looking at the world today, you might not be able to tell, but once he comes back, it'll be very clear that he is a God of justice. So we have an advocate. This word advocate appears five times in the New Testament. The other time is in John's Gospel. In addition to this letter, John wrote the story of Jesus. He was with Jesus, so he just kind of wrote a record of it. It's pretty long. It's really good to read through. But he used the word advocate four times in that. And an advocate is someone who works on someone else's behalf. An advocate is someone who works on someone else's behalf. In John's Gospel, he said there's the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to die. I'm going to leave the earth. But I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And four times in John's Gospel, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit was doing in our lives, what he does in our lives today, is he works on the Father's behalf, or Jesus' behalf, and he makes Jesus become more real to us. He reminds us of the things that Jesus said. The Holy Spirit inside of us is, is the one who changes us. We have the responsibility to change. We Yes, we must run from sin. We must turn to God. We must repent. But the agent for change, the place where we get that power to change, comes from the Holy Spirit. He is an advocate. He's working on the Father's behalf To make us more like God. But when John uses the word advocate here, he is saying that Jesus is working on your behalf. If you sin, you have an advocate. You have someone speaking up for you. And there's a number of different ways to talk about it. And and it's an uncommon word. It's not a word that, that that is used often. But I kind of picture it like this. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I'm about to share with you is going to be incomplete. But this is kind of the best I can do, I think, is that as I am living my life trying to run from sin and run to God, on those days and in those moments, I'll say in those moments because it's certainly every day, but in those moments when I fail, I don't have to be in despair because Jesus Christ, the righteous, has already forgiven my sin. So when I slip up, when I lose the battle, I don't have to be in despair. Now, if I look at my sin and I dwell on it, it will lead to despair. I will be crushed, and that's how I lived most of my teenage years. But this right here is saying I have an advocate, and his name is Jesus. I was speaking with someone recently, and he was asking me, there's something in his life he wants to stop. And he says he's always thinking about it, so how do I stop? And I told him, the writer of Hebrews says, look to Jesus. 
the author and perfecter of our faith. See, our, see we, we, we kind of go through two different extremes. If you're like me, you go into the despair mode where every little thing can just crush you. Or you can go on the other end, which I mentioned earlier, where you just know you can't stop. So you, you just say, you know what? I'm just going to live my life this way. I'm going to do whatever I want. And, and I'm going to have a good time doing it. And God, I really don't care what you say. It's not worth it. It's not worth following you if I can't do what I want to do. So we've got that one extreme of complacency. We've got this other extreme of despair or hopelessness. And, and I used to be on this side. And I think now because of verses like these and just how God has worked in my life, I think I'm somewhere in the center. But it, sometimes I drift back there when I shouldn't. Okay? But I think a healthy view of this situation is really presented to us here in this first verse. We have an advocate. If you know God, Jesus is representing you to our Father. And He says to the Father, not that the Father doesn't already know this, but He says to the Father, that one's mine. That one's forgiven. That one belongs to me. See, the good news for us is not only that God saves lost sinners, but He keeps saved sinners saved. He keeps saved people who mess up. He keeps us saved. And you don't have to, I want to say this carefully, but you don't have to make yourself stay saved. He embraces you and He doesn't hold on to you even when we have those periods where we try to run away. Now what we're going to see in the, these remaining 8 or 9 or 10 verses is that we do need to follow Him and we do need to obey Him and, and, and walk with Him. We can't be careless. We can't go in despair. But we need to be somewhere in the middle where we are walking with Him and fixing our eyes on Him. We get to verse 2. And John writes that He is the propitiation for our sins. What does that word mean? We're going to see it one more time later on in John's epistle. But here's what it means. Jesus has satisfied the wrath and the anger of God. Jesus has satisfied the wrath and the anger of God. Now, is God angry? I don't like God being angry. What am I going to do with that? What's all that about? I thought God is love. I thought God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, so on and so forth. Why can God be angry? Here's why. Because He's holy. That means He has no sin. And yet, we have run towards sin, and we have not looked to God as we should have looked to God. And He's righteously angry. It is right that He's angry when children are harmed. It is right that He's angry when there's unfaithfulness. It is right that He's angry when you've been lied to or when you lie to someone else. Does it make you glad that God gets angry when there's bad stuff that happens? See, it's a good thing that God is angry. If He wasn't angry and everything in our world was going on, then I'd be... Mm. If it didn't upset Him that there's injustice and evil in this world, 
I would have a hard time with that. And I don't want to impose my standard upon God because we can't be the judge of God. But what I'm just trying to do is to appeal to you and to what God has already given you. You already know so much about what's right and wrong. Doesn't it make sense that God would get angry when people hurt other people? And when people take advantage of other people? Doesn't it? If God is... The only, if he's, let me say it like this, if he's the king of kings, if he's the true king, if he's the real king, is it okay if a whole bunch of other people say that they're the king? He, he, he's angry at the sin in our world. And if you don't know Christ, He's angry because there's sin in your life because you've disobeyed His command and you have not followed Him. If you don't know Jesus, He's angry with you. But look at verse 2. Let's read that. He is the propitiation for our sins. How does the anger go away? He loved you so much that He sent Jesus. Someone who's very far from God asked me a great question a, few, uh, a couple months ago. And they said to me, Is it wrong? Or, or she said, How can God send His Son? Why is God good if He sent His Son to suffer punishment? For what a whole bunch of other people did. Why? Why is? How can you say that he is good? There's not an easy answer to that question. But God sent His Son out of love. For his creation. When he created this world, he made two people and a bunch of animals. And he, we're not going to get through all 11 verses. Right. He made two people and he put them there. And he gave them one command, one thing not to do. And they chose to rebel. Against him. And in that moment, they began to suffer death. They didn't die physically immediately, but they underwent a spiritual death where they were separated from God, where their relationship had been broken and in an incredibly significant way. And that's what happened in the garden. But what we've seen God do since then is steadily and continually work to bring restoration and healing in the midst of all the brokenness and in the midst of all the sin and in the midst of all the pain and all the chaos. God has been working to bring restoration not only to mankind, not only to Adam and Eve and us, their descendants, but to all creation. Amen. And the centerpiece, 
Okay, the, the, the most beautiful part of this restoration is what Jesus did. Jesus didn't come just to be a great prophet. He didn't come just to show people the right way to live. He didn't come just because you needed a better teacher than the other guy down the road and you should follow his book instead of Muhammad or Allah's book or this book or that book. He didn't come just so you could clean up your life and know how to get your act together. He came because you haven't lived your life right. You don't have your act together. And the Father loves you so much. The Father wanted you back. He asked His Son, who was the only one that was perfect, since we all screwed it up, He asked His Son, who was the only one that was perfect, and he says, son, I want you to go. Go and get my people. And the sun came from heaven. S-O-N. The sun came from heaven. And he was born of a woman. Just like every one of us were. And he came into our world. He came into brokenness. He came into sin. He came into a hostile environment. He had never suffered or been hurt or attacked in heaven before. There's no sin there. So, so he just came right into the middle of the mess th that we had created. Because he loves us. Amen. He loves us. And he lived his life. And during this life, he was very much like us in so many ways. But in one way, he was not. He never broke the law of God. He never stepped away from his father's will and from his father's heart. He walked in perfect obedience. And because of his perfection, he was able to be a sacrifice. And my sin deserves condemnation and damnation unless there is one who takes it away, unless there is a sacrifice, unless there is one who is perfect. And Jesus Christ, the righteous, our advocate, came and he suffered and he died as a sinner and as a criminal. And he did this for us. Look at verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. God was angry at our sin. God was angry at Adam and Eve's sin. God was angry, and it was right that He was angry. But you know what? Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice. And God is no longer angry if you're a believer in Jesus. If you are a believer, if you are not a believer in Jesus, then he is angry with your sin and you will be punished for it. But you do not have to be because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the righteous. God's anger and wrath was poured out upon Jesus so that we could be forgiven so that we could be made new so that we can be clean and this is for the whole world well you don't know what I've done it says for the whole world 
Yeah, there's a lot of creeps out there worse than you. I get that, okay? But Jesus has got you covered. What He did is enough to bring forgiveness of your sin and to change you. You can't change yourself and make yourself ready for God. But He loves you so much that He will bring you into His family, He will bring you into His house, and He will clean you up from the inside out and from the outside in, all at the same time. All at the same time. And He will come and live inside of you, and He will begin begin to teach you and show you what is right. Let's read verses 1 and 2 some more. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Have your sins been covered by Jesus? Do you belong to Him? Do you wonder... How do I know if I belong to him or not? We're going to cover that next week, verses 3 through 11 in the rest of John's epistle. We're going to look at that because there are ways that you can know. So if you don't know, then I, I get that. I've been there. But John answers those questions. And he's got some great answers for him because he wants us to know that we're saved. But if you want Jesus, if you have never turned to him, the Bible says so clearly Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. He's the only way to God. There's nobody else out there. There's nothing you can bring to Him. He's the only one. So what you have to do is run to Him. Yes, Lord, I trust You. Yes, Lord, I need You. Yes, Lord, I want You. God, I don't know where You're going to take me, but I'm with You. Amen. (laughs) Can you say that to God today if you've never said that to Him? He loves you no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter where you think you're going. What He has done is enough to save your soul from death and sin and hell and judgment. And you can be a part of His family. And His family ain't perfect, but I'll tell you what, He sure is. And His family's starting to be more like Him every day. And that's what God has called us to. If you don't know God, I want you to call on Him today. If you aren't sure if you know God, I want you to let me know afterward. And come back next week and we'll figure this stuff out in the weeks to come because God wants to talk to you. I believe that with all my heart. Church. Father, we thank You for what You've said to us in Your Word. God, we thank You for Jesus. And how you have been working steadily and consistently since we sinned to bring creation back into order. To bring restoration and healing and hope. God, we thank you that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father and that his name is Jesus and he is perfect and right and just in every way. And we thank you that anyone who comes will be received and that our sins can be wiped away and that your holy, just, and righteous anger is no longer upon those who call upon you. We thank you for that. We want to know you better. 
We want to love you better. We want to know you more. We give you glory and honor and praise. Amen. Amen. Every week, we come to the table. This is something that Jesus did with his followers the night before he was crucified and died. And he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. He says, take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. If you're not a Christian, you don't have to come. If you're uncomfortable coming, you know, that's okay. But if you know God, he says, come and eat of me and drink of me. After they shared the bread that night, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sin. And he says, take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. If you are his child, he says, come and receive of him. And this is a picture of the gospel as baptism is. This is a picture of the gospel that we go to Jesus, we take of him, and we receive of him. And we are blessed by him and we belong. So if you are a child of God, let us come today and do that. Today, if you would, when you come up, let's circle around that way instead of this way. And Brother Tim, Brother Joe, would y'all come and serve today, please? Let's pray and give thanks. God, we thank you for the bread. We thank you for the cup. We thank you for the good news of the gospel of Jesus.